Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listen in the Black Cast. Welcome to the Black Cast. Very excited. Joining me now is musician Mark Slaughter. We're going to talk about a variety of things, but uh, they've got a great vinyl box set for Slaughter's Fear No Evil album. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mark. Great to talk to you. Thank guys. you. Yeah, nice to be back. So uh, let's just start off. We're going to dive right into it. Uh, so the Fear No Evil album, which was Slaughter's third album, uh, that was released uh, just a little bit over 26 years ago. And right. uh, I admit that I hadn't listened to the album in a while. And I listened to it a lot in the past week or so to get ready to talk to you. And you just kind of forget because, you know, when I think of Slaughter, I'm going to think of the songs that I still hear, you know, on Sirius XM's Hair Nation, the, the you know, the stick it to you songs every once in a while, wildlife and any of this stuff after that, you don't hear as much, but uh, I, it, it was great to listen again. Cause it was like almost as though it was, it was new because I hadn't heard it in so long. And I forgot how many great songs there were on there. And I wanted to just remembering, you know, going back decades, listening to that song, uh, it'll be all right. I think is what it's called. It's got this really cool Beatles vibe. And yeah. then that vocal is sort of the, you know, it's almost, it's like that, that talking vocal from day in the life, but it's like mixed right, with exactly. Alice Cooper. And exactly. uh, I, I, it was just like, Oh my God, I just hadn't thought about that song in a long time. So it's kind of fun to get to rediscover stuff like that, which I guess when, when people get this, this new version of it, uh, they'll be able to rediscover some, some forgotten favorites maybe. Right. Right. You know, it's a, uh, it, you know, the, the bottom line is we're influenced by, all these artists along the way, whether it be Alice Cooper, Beatles, Zeppelin, Sabbath, you know, ACDC, Aretha Franklin. I mean, it's so diverse. And then you just kind of put it in a blender. And that's really ultimately what the band is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of those things just put together. And that song is probably one of the most Beatlesque uh of of all of them and uh yeah, there is it, there is a day in a life type thing in there, and I think it's just kind of a kind of tip of the hat to uh to where we came from and it's kind of what we heard in our head again from listening to all those records a million years ago you know and uh it's certainly uh like i said it's part of our music environment so it's definitely going to creep its way in yeah no no and i think uh, I, I think it's uh, it's fun because it's not like you know every slaughter album has oh here's the beatles sounding song you know so right, it's kind of right. cool every once in a while to get something like that uh you know i've talked to a number of musicians 
who's you know whose career really uh ascended in the late 80s and early 90s you know from the hard rock scene and uh when i spoke to you a few years ago you sort of had like the most zen like way to look at sort of what happened to that scene you didn't you said like well we shouldn't be mad at any of these bands you know like allison no. soundgarden put out great albums great great bands know? yeah absolutely. yeah these are great bands who put out great albums uh, and since then, I, I've read something that you said that I actually just didn't, I literally had no idea about that, you know, sure, musical tastes change, but there was, a, I guess, a, a fundamental changeover at MTV. And suddenly yes. somebody in charge is like, I hate Motley Crue. I don't like these bands anymore. We're not going right. to play them. And then basically that's kind of what happened, right? It was a programmer uh, from a station called K-Rock, which is out there in California that you probably hear. Um, in that uh, station, it was a programmer of that station who in turn ended up being the the programmer of MTV. And he said, I'm not just not going to play these bands anymore. And, you know, again, there's phases in life. There's there's flavors of the week and and but but it becomes a nostalgia thing. And I think that's a key point with with what we do. We always we were in control of our own music. We make our own music. We recorded it. We wrote it. We're the only band from our genre that had that total control from front to end and still do and perform it still to this day. So it's not like other people were leading our destiny or where we were going to be. It was just, again, we still feel comfortable because it's who we are. We weren't putting on an act. We were just, this is just the, the guys next door who love music and this is what they wrote and this is what they play. And I think that's a key point with our band. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting because sort of that, that realization that, you know, there is, there, there's a definitely like a cool kids table in rock and roll. I mean, it's no more well evidence than the rock and roll hall of fame where, you know, they begrudgingly after years, it's like, all right, I guess kiss can get in and all oh, right, I guess Def Leppard, but I really didn't want, Oh my God, Bon Jovi. And they let in these bands, these great bands that, you know, sure. all you have to do is look at how successful they were. And, you know, I mean, especially if you point back to Kiss, who it's like all these other bands like are influenced by them. And that's supposed right. to be one of those factors. It's like, oh, it, were you a huge influence? But then it's just like, yeah, but I don't like that band, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, coming up in in the time you did sort of this this hard rock era, uh, and, and, you know, uh, a lot of people who are familiar with this kind of music, they know Eddie Trunk, who has a show on Sirius XM, and he is one of the most vocal people who does not like to use the phrase hair metal or hair bands or anything like that. And I think when you get, when you paint with that brush, it becomes so much easier to dismiss those bands. So I feel like, you know, great albums, like the ones that Slaughter had, you know, at a certain point, it was just like, yeah, we're not even going to listen to it and, and evaluate whether or not it's good, you know? And, right, uh, right. And I, I feel like, you know, that time period that Fear No Evil came out was sort of, you know, yes, there was a little bit of, of a, a sea change in terms of what was popular. But if you have people who are saying like, well, we're just not going to play those. And I know Fear No Evil kind of comes out around the same time that Skid Row have this great album called Subhuman Race. Tesla have this album Bust a Nut. There's I could list ten more, and right. and it was just like like almost you know no real reaction. Not like the the you know I mean the second Skid Row record like debuted at number one on Billboard, and then the third one it was like oh no we 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 don't even want to put that on the shelf. So right. talk about how challenging it was in that time 
to come out with a record that I'm sure you guys were like, oh, we we made another great record. I listened to it just yesterday and it was great, you know? So yeah, it, there's nothing I, I wrong with the record. There's nothing wrong with the record. It's just a different time. I think that the drum sound, that's the best drum sound we had on all our records, in my opinion. It's a great, great Blossus drum sound. Amazing on that record. Um, and uh, it was a very, you know, look, when we did stick it to you, that was, you know, Dana and I writing and then us doing it in the studio. And again, our first live date that we ever did was with kiss. So you get, you know, when we, then we started playing live. So there became a new flavor to the band because we never played live together. We were, we wrote it and recorded it, you know, did it all in the studio, but we never really played in a room together, together, you know, going over the songs, going over the songs. We just did it all in the studio. That's what we know. That's where we came from. So it was a whole different animal when we stepped on the stage. And I think that's what you see in the fear and no evil. That's, that's after stick it to you and touring for a year and a half with kiss and poison and then coming back and then doing wildlife and then going out with Ozzy Osbourne and then damn Yankees and then going back and then writing. And then Dana got in a motorcycle accident and, you know, we had the, the record in the, you know, the ideas in a can. And then we, you know, we saw our record company changing. So there's all these changes within the industry as well. Our label was going through a massive change. Um, Chrysalis was becoming EMI, you know, or was being swallowed up by EMI. And, and you know, Chris Wright, who's a brilliant, you know, man who started Chrysalis Records along with Terry Ellis back in the day. Um, he was no longer, you know, he was kind of forced out. It was a, a hostile buyout. And so you lose the flavor, you lose that family, you lose what, what that team that you built and, and everybody knew each other. So there's, there's a lot of spokes in the wheel for our band and how it changed. But then again, we were playing arenas and all that. And then all these bands were pushed down into clubs because it wasn't on MTV. It wasn't cool. So then the promoters are like, we just don't do that anymore. It was just kind of like, you know, every bit, all of a sudden that was just gone. And uh, it was hard. The touring was a lot harder. It was a lot more brutal, but we hopped on a bus every year and we slugged it out. And, but inevitably fear no evil to me was a very difficult time, but the record is a good record in my opinion. And I think it's, we wanted to put it out on vinyl because it's never been out on vinyl. And, uh, you know, the kiss my wax records, uh, they, you know, they're, they're doing the box set, which is, I think there's, only, there's only 500 of them. I think there's only a hundred left. Yeah. So, yeah. So of those 500, about uh, 400 have already been spoken for. They're for gone. Watching, yeah. They're gone. See it on the screen there. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll go through some of the, the cool stuff that's on there, but yeah, go to kissmywaxrecords.com. And, you know, I know those guys from their presence online as, you know, the name of their, their site is kiss my wax. Cause they do a podcast. And yeah. I first became aware of them because at auction, they paid some obscene, amount for the video for uh kiss's song i from music from the elder they did a promo video and there was like mm -hmm. one copy of it and so these guys bought it and then I, they were able to put it on the internet because they owned it and i don't i don't know what they spent 
as a huge Kiss fan, I think that whatever they spent, it was too much. But I'm glad I got to see it because they bought it. Right. You know. Right. So how did you? Uh, how did this idea come about to you know do a record with those guys and uh, put it out through their site? Well, you know, well, Jason, we know Jason and and Joe, and and they they approached us on it along with a, a, a childhood friend of mine, Pat Lucero, that, that I've known, you know, we grew up together and, and it was just a natural course of it and it's being done properly. So it's not just coming through a record company, it's coming through the band. So we are finding special things. We're finding, you know, uh, pictures that weren't ever printed before and, and album cover ideas that nobody's ever seen. I mean, stuff that we forgot all about, you know, they're just plugged in and really making it a very special thing. And then Dana and I started going through the archives during the pandemic and started finding demos and the original recordings and the dats so that it will be remastered properly. And, you know, it's, it's done properly for an album. It's not like we're just taking it off some, you know, MP3 recording and throwing it on vinyl. It's a really superb sounding record on top of it worth. We threw our demos on that, the demos of some of the songs on there. So, yeah. And, and as a testament to the fact that, uh, you know, everybody wanted it to sound good. So it's, it's two LPs and they're at 45 RPM. So obviously right. I think the album itself, I assume would have fit on a 33, but then it's going to sound so much better. Uh, and then there's the uh, nine rare or uh, never before heard bonus tracks that are on there. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's uh, some pictures and stuff. Uh, and we'll go through some of the other things, but in terms of actually remastering it, I was reading that uh, it, it, I guess somebody associated with the project uh, sought out uh, someone named, I think his name is major Applebaum. More. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, more. Okay. And uh, he had, I, and I, I looked him up and, you know, he had worked with Dream Theater, Faith No More, Yes, Meatloaf, and and God bless him. He even uh, mastered a William Shatner record, you know? Right, uh, right. William Shatner puts out those, uh, those music, uh, you know, where he kind of yeah, like yeah, talks things. Yeah, without Adam Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it, and it's like, you know, if, if, if you want to have a big smile on your face, uh, this is for the audience. Uh, go ahead and Google uh, William Shatner space trucking. But uh, in any case, uh, so talk about getting somebody that obviously has worked with, you know, a lot of that stuff I think is reissuing, you know, making right, sure that right. somebody who understands what you need to do to go through and make it, it sound better than well, it did. And, and Bob Ludwig did the first, you know, the first two records we did those with uh, Bob Ludwig and, and, you know, he's amazing. And, but those are for CD and those, it was a different format. It's a different mastering limiting. And, you know, this is for album. This is for an album. So we have the box set that's being done this way, as well as our demos. And then on top of that, uh, you know, there's just the, the album version of it. So it's not just the box set, but it's the album, but both of them will sound incredibly good. And that's the key point that we wanted to do is to put it out there, time capsule it almost for ourselves in that side, that it, it will be done properly. And I think that's a key point with this, it. just not going to be thrown out there for a money grab because there's really at the end of the day with what we're putting into this thing, there was really not much money left. <laughs> right yeah and and it's uh it, it's signed by all three surviving members of, of mm -hmm. slaughter uh and it's in a it's in a cool box 
uh, and hand numbered. That's always good. And then what I really wanted to talk about was uh, there's this cool extra special item that uh, one of the 500 is going to have this golden ticket, this spend my right. life with water, which is a lifetime pass to see the band live for uh, the life of the band. So my question to you is when you got into music, did you think that one day you would also get to play Willy Wonka? You know, it's, it, I guess it's the young the the young kids and in how we look at things we always try to look at things of what we think would be cool yeah sure and uh and i think that's really where we're at with it wouldn't it be cool if we did this and you know guys that kicks kiss my wax are like yeah that'd be cool <laughs> if you want to do that you know yeah. but it comes from the band in other words we were willing to to do that and you know dana and blossom myself are all going to be in the same room and sign all these things together they're going to come up to nashville and uh we'll sign it all in the same room so it's not going to be just like things floating around there's a lot there's a camaraderie there there's there's a lot of good memories and i think that's the the key point with this is it's it's uh there's a lot of love put into it and uh that's what's and we enjoy that yeah, look, I think that uh, most of us have bought reissues that are record company reissues where, you know, the band may or may not even be involved. And this is clearly the opposite of that. You know, it's, right. uh, sometimes right. sometimes, you know, those kind of reissues have stuff that the band would probably rather not be on there, you know, demos that don't sound good. So it's great that, you know, you guys are taking the time. And I think the important thing to note is I, I found it fascinating in the notes that uh, I was sent is that the the uh, sets are expected around september because i guess the backlog for producing vinyl is something like four or five months it's not right you know just there's i guess only so many places there's only vinyl there's anymore, only right? so many yeah because what happened is is when vinyl went away they destroyed those a lot of those presses they ju they just went away so you have all these these records that were being printed and then it becomes like an antique and then they fall apart or they're not maintained. And there's just basically just a few that are doing that now. So that's why they're backed up. And it's also 900% increase in people buying vinyl. It's actually outselling CDs at this point. So go figure. Yeah, I know. I think I think probably the majority of people are like, oh, there's a new album. I'm going to just hit this button on my iPhone and then walk around with it, you know? And, right, uh, right. Yeah, I think that the the one good thing about CDs is that you can take that actual disc and then, you know, transfer it to however you want it. But uh, right. obviously for sound, somebody's really going to be able to sit home and enjoy it with a nice pair of headphones. This is uh, clearly what that's going to be for. Uh, this talking is about for the audiophiles. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. for the guys who really get into the vinyl and having it sound warmer and for, you know, the dynamics. The thing is that people don't understand is is a CD is is the level. If you're looking at the level of, of where it's at, it's just slammed. It's called brick wall mastering where you just kind of yeah. slam it like this and then it stays at this point. So it's louder all the time, but the waves themselves are actually compressed. So it becomes distortion. A square wave technically is distortion. So when you're listening to that, there's a square wave. Same thing with MP3s. With vinyl, there's it, there's the breathing room, you know, it's doing this. So you're so yeah. it's it's the lows are low and the highs are highs. It's not like completely squashed for that because well, you're allowing that in vinyl. It's interesting because you're making me remember how CDs used to have 
the this little box with uh, three letters on it and it would be very rarely would it be ddd digital 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 all the way across like you're right. an old like if you had like if you bought like an old doors album it would of course the original would be a for analog but uh very few of them would be all digital and you, you mentioned damn yankees before and i remember that that first damn yankees album it was like yeah uh but you always wonder like if somebody's gonna go back and remaster any of those things, what they would sound like. You know, we're talking about different formats. I wanted to bring in this comment from Kame Egan. Uh, I loved Stick It To You. I listened to that album so much, I had to buy a new cassette because the tape got twisted and ripped. Uh, that <laughs> was the format that I had Stick It To You on uh, initially. I had, mm -hmm. it, I, I had it on cassette and, uh, you know, cassettes were great because they were portable, but boy, they were not durable, like at all. No, you know? <laughs> no, no. If he, and you hit just the right... Uh, the right median or whatever, uh, you you know, your tape would just hit the head and it would get all next thing you know, you had tape everywhere. So, yeah, was, you know, I've had many a tapes uh, lost through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it would be, a, you wouldn't even have to listen to it that many times. So it would be like that space between the songs. You could hear the other side of the tape like backwards right. because you listen to it so much. So, right, uh, right. There's a, there, there's, you know, I, I can understand people rediscovering vinyl for the audio quality. It's uh you know, but when somebody puts out a new cassette, I think that it's mostly uh, as a goof, you know, but uh, uh, it's, uh, I have, well, we, I have a fondness for it, even though it was not a great format. I, I, right. Cause I bought well, so many a track, a track doesn't seem to be the format that anybody's screaming about at this point. You know, that one, <laughs> that one, that one went out quick. Yeah, although I do remember somewhere in the last decade, I know Cheap Trick put their newest album out on eight track because they wanted to be the number one selling something. Yeah. And right. uh, so, yeah, there's there's always somebody out there uh, that uh, you can figure out something. Question is, is how many did they sell? If it was two, they were still number one. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I need to call Rick and ask him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or does he have a garage full of like 5,000 of them? He's right, like, exactly. Come over and yeah. uh, take them. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, in in terms of uh, preparing for uh, getting to talk to you again, uh, I also uh, re-listened to The Wildlife, which I hadn't heard in a little while, mm -hmm. the whole album. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to kind of think of like, oh, my God, the 90s came and hard rock was over. But uh, that album came out in 92. And right. uh, it was it was incredibly successful as well. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I I only know this because I looked it up, but it went to number eight on the charts. And I'm like, that's 1992. Right. That's after you know Nirvana and Pearl Jam. So there was sure. there was still a market if it wasn't for people you know like the guy you talked about at MTV, or right. or people at record companies that were just like, nah, let's just let's just let's find just somebody on. else. Yeah, yeah let's, let's just, just move, move on. on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I uh, I was uh, listening to the song and i'd kind of forgotten about this song uh times they change which is kind of like mm -hmm. a time capsule because it's got these uh these clips of like uh a then president bush senior and uh, i think tom brokaw and talking right. about the gulf war and it, you know and i was thinking about it i'm like that's such like a almost like a Queensrÿche thing you know they would a lot of times put like you know somebody like with like a newscast of, you know over like right. a solo or something and it's such a time capsule to that very moment i'm like i kind of forgot that like the Gulf War was this really scary thing in that moment. I remember I was in high school and I remember like our teachers, like we didn't really learn that day. They wanted to talk to us and know what we were thinking, you know, right. and just because of everything that's happened since it's so easy to forget like, Oh yeah, that was a really big deal. You know, that we yeah. were, that there was yeah. a war, you know, uh, and, and uh, we were caught in the crossfire of it. We were in, we were in Europe at the time that it happened. We were just starting a tour with Cinderella and we were driving 
in, in a double decker tour bus in the wrong side of the road. And, and then the BBC there said, us has just declared war on, on Kuwait. And, you know, and we're, and we're just like, what, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, and it's almost like one of those old broadcasts or one of those black and white movies you watch when you're a kid, because we didn't live through that. I mean, you know, it was Vietnam and all that, but that was, you know, it, that was that, and this is this. And, and uh, it was very, very bizarre. And uh, that, that tour was cut short. We came back into America and, and spent the rest of our time here, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and in terms of sort of like, you know, this is a very technical sort of nerdy question. How difficult was it to get clips like that back then? You know, in the late 80s, years after that, I was an intern at Saturday Night Live. And a big part of my mm -hmm. job was finding these agencies that like taped everything. And you had to get shows that had aired in the past. And because you, know, you couldn't, I, I, you know, people now it's like I could pick up my iPhone and I could probably find, you know, the entire NBC nightly news from the night that uh, Kuwait was invaded, you know? Right. But, right. But at that time, you know, uh, how hard was it to do that? And talk about the idea of, Hey, we want to do this. Oh, can we even get stuff that, that actually works in there? Well, what we did is we ended up taking, we went, I remember we were recording in uh, at the red zone and I went into studio a and literally went on the nightly news and plugged my DAP player into the back of the television and recorded it on my portable DAT. We brought it in and found clips of things that we thought were right. And then we had to go get the clearance after we had right, used sure. it. So we had to go to Tom Brokaw and Tom Brokaw was like, yeah, that's fine. I'd love to do it. And next thing you know, we have him on and, and, and then we got the clearance from NBC, but it was, I think that really what we're you know, music is a time capsule. You know, it's just like sick of tea is really that a little bliss before it was a little bit simpler time. It started getting a little bit more complicated in 91, even more so in 92, you know, and then we're here where we are right now, but, Certainly, I think what we were trying to document in Time Capsule is those things that we were going through and uh, as as people, not just as an artist. And uh, that was our way of really, you know, putting it into a record. And uh, the nice part of it was, is we were the producers. So we were able to go into that and change it and do what we wanted. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we do this? Well, let's just do it. So we we would do those ideas and we would have those ideas and it was with the band and we were able to artistically do what we wanted. And, uh, that was the, the, how should I put it? That was probably, probably the blessing of this band from the beginning is the fact that we had that artistic control from the beginning. And, uh, and we really did. They just said, yeah, you guys do what you want to do. And they come in, in some of the demos, we'd send them a couple songs. Oh, that's great. Go ahead and record it up. They never said, you know, hey, why don't you change this? Or why don't you try that? Or you don't have any songs. They just said, you know, you go, go, guys, go. And so we really had a lot of artistic freedom. And I think it's, it's sad to me that a lot of these bands that were signed that were, were and are good bands, they had somebody in A&R that just wanted to touch it or change things just to say that they changed something instead of letting the band that they signed for the reason that they liked the band, they would sign them and then try to change everything about them that they liked. 
It's just, it's odd. It doesn't. Yeah, no. And, and I was actually thinking about that just as you were talking. So how is it that, you know, Slaughter, their first album comes out in 1990. How are you able to get that kind of autonomy? I mean, obviously people know that the band grew out of the Vinnie the Vincent invasion, yeah. but that obviously that, that this would not be that record contract. So is it the, just that the band is like, you know, the, the, well, the label's it's, like, it's, we want to do a new band, but without Vinnie. They gave us artistic freedom. They said to... You know, I signed a leaving member agreement during the time I was with Vinny, which means that whatever, if any, it was in his really Steve Stevens, I'll, I'll say that all day long. If it wasn't for Steve Stevens, I wouldn't have had that deal because Steve Stevens left Billy Idol and it caused panic through the whole uh, record label that the people that were underneath the artists were just as important. So they made everybody sign a leaving member agreement. So I'm out on the road. I called up Mike Bone, who's a president at that time. And I said, look, it's, you know, this thing is not going to work. You know, Vinny has totally different ideas of where we're going and where, where, you know, where he, where he's going and where we're going are two totally different directions. We want to write songs that become a part of people's lives. And, and Vinny wanted to be a guitar hero. And, and, and again, he writes great songs, but that's what he wanted to do. Artistically, we were just in two, in, in a, in a fork in a road. So at that time, I told Mike, I said, I'll finish up the, the tour and, uh, and then we'll see what happens. And as soon as we finished the tour, I got back home and literally in my mailbox was a uh, letter from the, the attorney from Chrysalis saying, we are picking up your leaving member agreement. Now you need to go record four songs. That was the part of the of the stipulation in the contract that you have to come up with four songs that they listen to. And if they like what you're doing, they'll pick up your option. So they said they were picking up my option already, but we had to write the songs. We had to record the songs. And uh, basically we rolled right uh, into doing the, you know, the Slaughter record. First, we worked with a band called White Heat. Um, pretty much about two weeks after uh, and they came out and we worked with them on some of the production ideas. We, we kind of used their time in the studio that was paid for to do some of our artistic ideas. And uh, we, you know, did that uh, Dana produced that record and I was uh, part of, of, of helping in that side. And that was a band called firehouse. And uh, those songs were recorded that way. Um, by the, they couldn't get a deal. We go out on the road and subsequently we're out on the road and they said, okay, they're picking up the deal. Dana had the option to produce them, but he was on the road. We were doing our thing. I mean, we were right in our heyday. So he said, I just, I can't do it. So, so he, they so went, he would have produced the firehouse record, which obviously that's right. had two that's huge right. songs. And so, oh, uh, yeah. That's and, crazy. Those, and, no those demos, yeah. and those demos are, 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 a testament to you know the recording process so the recording process and how we did things was good and people knew that it was good and the record label when we did our demos for stick it to you it sounded like a record so we knew what we were doing as we did it and of course you know we again going back to the four songs they heard you know for the six songs that we recorded in in uh in our as a demo uh that was 1988 uh, going on 99, it was New Year's Eve. We were in the studio at uh, the record plant. 
And uh, we recorded there and uh, just spent the night and then spent the, the following evening. And that was it. And, and they said, okay, well, you guys know what you're doing. And we said, listen, we don't want A&R involved in this because they're going to change everything that we're doing. Otherwise, we don't want to do the deal. So we kind of set the precedence right there that let us do what we do and we'll do this. Otherwise, this is not an agreement that we want to do. Yeah. And it's not something that I think that you hear about a lot is sort of that sort of picking up your option. You hear about that in terms of like television or right. you know, athletes and things like right. that. So getting that opportunity, it seems like it's a very unique circumstances that you, you guys found yourselves in, but obviously the it gave us artistic that, control. Is yeah, what it and then did. when yeah. you have the success of the first record, then they're able to say like, well, see, obviously it worked. Let's let them uh, do what they want. Yeah, when are you guys going well. back in the studio? Exactly. When you going <laughs> yeah. back in the studio and we had one month off between touring our butts off for a year and a half. Right. We had one out and then Dana said, look, we got to strike while the iron's hot. And I said, okay. So we had literally one month off to like get our, you know, I bought a, a car. I didn't even have a car because we were gone the whole time. Uh, my car was <laughs> stolen. My car was stolen before we went out on the road. I had an MR2 that was stolen. So, it, you know, I got my, got my insurance check and I said, why am I going to buy a car until I get back <laughs> off the road? So yeah. it's like a year and a half. I had no car. So I would fly home and just, you know, rent a car. But yeah. uh, and I'm like, okay, now I'm here. Let's 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 go get our automobile. So you know, it was a good slash uh, fun for, for a. Uh, 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 my friend Dan is in the chat, and he uh, mentions that yeah. uh, his first concert. Uh, it was my second ever concert was uh, to see Slaughter open for Kiss on the Hot in the Shade wow. tour. And so Slaughter, we relate. We miss Little Caesar. Uh, you were the first band he ever saw, and he he really didn't know the the song because it was like i think up all night he actually thought this i remember this he thought the song up all night that you guys were singing rock all night and he's like great yeah. song i'm like yeah but you got the words wrong dummy but um, <laughs> so and he did the same thing i did though it's like we both like went and bought that cassette the next day and you know you were saying something earlier though that you really didn't play until you were opening for kiss now had you right had you done like no shows or did you uh do a couple warm-ups or something no you no the kiss? band yeah slaughter never played a show at a club we did wow. a rehearsal for about about a week of just like trying to get our guitar tones and get yeah. you know everybody playing to get used to playing again uh, and, you know, and again, when you record stuff, it's, it's like you record it and then you, you've, you've played it once, you know, we're writing and recording. It's a, it's a point of doing it and making your art. And then when you go to play it live, it's like, okay, now we have to recreate the, the art. What do we do? What colors did we use? Which brushes did you use? And, and that's really where we're at, uh, going into that. So our first show that we did was, uh, May 4th. Uh, in Lubbock, Texas, 1990. That was our very first show and our very first performance. We came off the stage. The record company president was in our dressing room with gold records for all of us. So it was wow. like, wow. I mean, it's like, wow. I turned to Dana. I said, I think we did something right. You know? Yeah. Well, you uh, know, that, that that's how easy it is, kids. That's how everybody was able to, uh, to make it. <laughs> your first show, yeah. you get your gold record. and uh, Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was a time, and and to be honest with you, we didn't have a life. We were in the studio. We we were writing. We were we, we were working with other bands. You know, even in VVI time, you know, Dana was producing other sure. other acts and other things. And you know, that's that's 
that's what we love to do. And, you know, I continued to do that. You know, the band hasn't recorded since 1999. And, uh, you know, I just kept recording and doing stuff for television. And then I did a couple of solo records just because, you know, I had the material and was writing for it. Um, I just love the art of making music. Again, there's, it's like, like you said, where's the art anymore and where's the money in it? It comes a point where you make, you make music or you do your art because you love to do it instead of just a money grab. And I think that's a key point. Yeah, no, no. I think that uh, there, there is that clear distinction. And, uh, you know, you did make the point that uh, Slaughter, as Slaughter hasn't uh, recorded a, a, an album in that's more than 20 years now. And yeah. you have I've talked to you about a couple of solo albums you've done. I remember one's called Halfway There. Uh, right. That's from a few years ago. Uh, but uh, it, do you feel like that's the outlet that you get is to put out solo albums and it's just not something that collectively slaughter wants to do an album at this point, or no, uh, I think it's, I think it's that we want, you know, when we're doing something for slaughter, I think that we want to make it special and it, it needs to be done right. It needs to be done, you know, the proper way. And I just think that people throw out records and, and then it's just thrown out there. Um, even though I didn't just throw out my, my solo records, but it's the same type of thing. I think you really need to get involved in the music and the ideas of it and, and structure those ideas and put it out in the right way. So, um, you know, for the band, I'm sure we'll do something, you know, but, uh, at this point it's not on the forefront of anything we're doing. Um, you know, I'm working right now with, uh, with a, an incredibly talented, uh, um, artist named mark farner who's uh oh from guitar Grand player. Trunk railroad right that's right yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh he's a wonderful human being uh iconic singer guitar player and uh just fantastic guy to work with he came into the studio here and and we wrote a couple songs and you know there's a lot more that we're going to be doing together on this and uh i don't know and he doesn't know where we're going to go with it but i i just know that when i listen back and he listens back to it that is something special and i think it's the love of the music and it's it's also the fact that i'm not trying to change who he is as an artist and how i'm recording him i'm trying to make it seem like where it was using the 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 proper reverbs for instance that were used in 1970 so the the tone yeah. and the quality of it is more old school than than you know a, a you know nine inch nails version of it you know or or something that's that's different different in that side yeah so uh i and in terms of you know slaughter still i i see that uh, there are some shows coming up uh you know some festivals and things like that and uh, mm -hmm. Go to slaughterusa.com to see those. Uh, and, you know, or I think it was actually earlier this week I heard you on with uh, Eddie Trunk, and I'm not trying to get a scoop or anything, but it seemed like you're not opposed to the idea of maybe at some point doing one of those tours where you guys would do an entire album. Uh, I've yeah. seen a few bands do that, and I think that's always a fun way to do it is, you know, when you get to see, you know, I've seen yeah, a variety of bands, like uh, Springsteen's done it, uh, I've seen Weezer do it, uh, the President's right. United States of America did their debut album, you know, and it's a lot of like, oh, that's cool, I like that idea. Now, right. if you ever did do that, are there songs that all these years later you actually never played live? In your oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot on the on that record, but... I think that's the thing is that the last time we probably played is when we tracked it, 
you know, right. gave me, gave me your heart. We never played it live. You know, there's, there's multiple songs on, on that record. We never did. You are the one. Um, but I think it's really, it's, you know, again, we, we want to approach it on what the people want, not just yeah. what we want. And I think that because we're music fans and we're, we, we love, you know, for instance, I'm a fan of Mark Farner, what he's done and, and does or kiss or whatever, I listen to those bands as a listener who loves that. And I think that's the key point is I wanted, I want to do our music with the same type of fan interest of our own music that we're not going far left when we should be going right here. Yeah. You know, one, one of the shows that I re just remembering now that I saw was uh, Ace Freely did his 78 solo album and he told us like the crowd, he was like, yeah, I had, there's four of these songs that I haven't played since I recorded them. So he right. he's kind of like apologized in advance. Well, they all sounded yeah. great, but you yeah. know, still I, I get it. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, I haven't, <laughs> you don't usually well, you have the opportunity. You record it. Yeah. And usually, you know, the other side of it is that people don't realize unless it's your own show, you know, for a 50 minute to an hour show, you usually are trying to sum up your whole career. And if you've got, you know, six, seven albums of music, there's, there's all these songs to pick from. So how do you do that? You really go to the songs that people say, I love that. Or you look at your, your statements to see how much, what songs people are listening to and playing. So we've always gone to our statements because we figured if they're downloading it or looking at it or streaming it or whatever, at least we know what it is that the fans want or are listening to, as opposed to us trying to push a song that was not really a special song to them. Sure. Uh, but you know, revisiting fear, no evil, the way you are now. And again, people can go to kissmywaxrecords.com to pre-order the special edition. Do you have any inkling of like, Oh wow, maybe we could try and uh, you know sneak in this one or that one because you know, we are celebrating. We, this yeah. Album. We, we might, you know, but again, you know, when you're playing a show, a promoter wants you to play 50 minutes to 70 right. minutes. So what do we put in there that, that the audience goes, I get it. You know, this is an obscure record that we were very proud of. And for those audiophile people that really wanted to get into listening is something that's was recorded very well, but some people are just unaware of it. That's what we're doing here. We're presenting something forward to say, this is for you. And it's also for our own time capsule because we are, you know, we we're real proud of where we came from with that. And the way we're doing sure. this is done proper. The box set's amazing. It's all done, you know, with a lot of love and and instead of just, you know, a get rich program, which a lot of, you know, artists do these things. So that's not what this is about. Yeah. And look, I've, I've been in audiences where, you know, like I I've gone to see Aerosmith and been shocked that people aren't as excited as I am to hear uh, Lord of the thighs or Kings and Queens, you know? So it's like, yeah, but you can see that everybody else around you, that the, the energy yeah, just down. drops and you kind of go, what, why is that? You know, because yeah. you're not going crazy, yeah. you know, they, they just want yeah. the hits. They want the hits. And there's nothing wrong with that, but us no, metalheads yeah. and people who like the deep tracks, there's only so deep you can go to be, before you start losing the energy. And as a performer, you just start seeing the energy go like this. You know, it's because that's not what what their heads at. They they want they want that that oh yeah I love this song. You know, they don't get it. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I've, I've heard enough interviews with bands where they talk about like they they're proud of new music that they do make, but they don't really play it live because it's like, well, that's when you see like the line of people to go to the bathroom or go buy a beer right. or whatever. So well, it's you like, know you what? It's, that to yourself, it's so you know? funny. You should say that because I remember I remember Dana and I were at a Paul McCartney concert and he's playing a Beatles track and, you know, like, Oh my God, what a great song. And then he plays a, a wings song. Oh man, that's so great. And he goes, I'd like to do a new number for you. And, and I'm standing next to Dana. We're, you know, we're pretty close, great seats. And we're watching people file out to hit the bathroom, grab a t-shirt, take a piss or whatever. And I was like, Oh my God. And Dana looked at me, he goes, we're fucked because <laughs> we realized, we realized at that point, this is, we had fear of no evil in the can, but we realized that people just, they only want so much new music and then they are they're They've had enough. So, I mean, it's kind of like they don't, you know, Paul McCartney's done some great records. I just picked one up a couple of years ago yeah. that he did and it's, and, and it's brilliant. And, and he's, still Paul McCartney and God bless him. But unfortunately there's a lot of people that don't put the money out towards good art. They just, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw Paul McCartney not that long ago and you know, guys in his seventies is almost 80 and he's still out there for like three and a half hours and he played a lot of songs, but he sure didn't play anything that I was going to consider new, you know, because right. I think he's, he's learned that. Uh, he you know, understands. I get this, yeah. I want to get this question from the chat. Uh, Dan again asks, is there a different style of music you'd ever want to experiment with outside of rock and roll? Um, there is a tribute that I've done recently. Uh, with Josh Egan, Josh and I went to uh, high school together and uh, he was really good friends with Mark Craney, the drummer of uh, Jethro Tull, as well as uh, um, Gino Vanelli and uh, Jimmy Haslip and uh, Joe Vanelli. We've done two Gino Vanelli tracks that I played guitar on one I sang on. Um, and uh, that was interesting for me because it's more of a, it's pop, but it has really intricate guitar stuff. Carlos Rios played on it. And again, it's, it's not the typical thing, um, yeah. but I enjoy playing guitar. I enjoy, you know, getting into technical things like that, but I can't do that within my band. I'm a front man in my band and, and I can only do so much guitar playing without losing an audience because nobody cares, but I enjoy making the music. I enjoy doing that. And that's, that's a key point. You got to understand as an entertainer, you entertain. It's not like a, you know, this is what I can do show. Um, but I, I think that's, that's what, that's my guilty pleasure that I've been doing lately. Uh, you know, and you mentioned uh, Josh Egan. Uh, the last time I talked to you, I actually was with him, and uh, you were talking about a project called Seven Angels. I just right. sort of wanted a quick follow up on uh, how that's been going for him, and if you've uh, been staying in touch as he's uh, been continuing to develop it. Yeah, he. Uh, we did another track. Um, we did another track, um, and uh, that one turned out great. And. Uh, you know, I, we're going to continue making music. You know, we're just kind of volleyballing tracks through the internet and Hey, what if we write this and what if we go here? And that's what we did on this, this track. And again, I'm more of a guitar player on that than a singer. And it's, it's fun for me to, to just play, you know, I love playing guitar. So it's been a nice experience to just sit back and do what I love to do when I'm home. 
Uh, and then uh, one last question I wanted to ask you. you know, you're talking about going out on tour uh, with Kiss as Slaughter's first thing. Uh, did did you know those guys before that? And most importantly, did you do your Gene Simmons impression before you got to go on tour with him, or did you develop it because you were uh, around? I the developed band? it because Gene would come in and say, "Listen, you guys sounded really good. Make sure that you don't play too long because we don't want the show to run late." So all those things that, that you know, <laughs> of being around Gene and, you know, there's a lot more yeah. colorful uh, things that happened through that time. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was good times. And I, I just actually, before the, we were doing this uh, podcast, heard that my uh, friend uh, Gary Corbett, uh, who's a keyboard player uh, that plays with kids, he's got cancer and I guess they're doing a GoFundMe page. So you know, I, I uh, would beg people to go out there and, and help Gary out a little bit. He's got a GoFundMe thing going. And it's, it's a tough time. You know, when you lose your health, you lose everything. So, uh, you know, I got to follow up with him and find out what's really going on. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously not something I plan to talk to you about, but uh, I know that uh, for musicians in general, you know, any kind of health problems is is always, you know, there's that organization, Sweet Relief, that's been around for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, and they've right. basically raised money for people who, you know, it's like you're not in you're not necessarily in any kind of union. Like you have, you're not no. going to automatically have some, you know, uh, some kind of healthcare. And no. uh, I guess it's, it's not something that we think about as fans of music, but uh, obviously you guys out there, you have to be very much aware of like, yeah, I, I shouldn't have to spend, you know, X amount of dollars a month on health insurance, but if I don't pay for it, you know, I'm not covered, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 800, 900 bucks a month. You know, it's, you know, it's a lot. And, uh, um, there, and that's just, you know, look, there's, everybody has their, their, uh, cross to bear, so to speak. But, you know, this is, this is a good guy, um, talented musician, played with Cindy Lauper, played with, uh, Cinderella, played with Kiss and, uh, has done a lot of scrap metal shows with, with me and has done recording with me. And, you know, he's a, he's a dear friend and it's, it's hard to see, somebody that uh is a dear friend go through such tough times especially when you know he doesn't have that uh at, at his disposal yeah absolutely well i want to bring in this last fan comment jackie says i love listening to mark whether he is singing or playing guitar and hopefully you've enjoyed listening to him speak as well uh it's always uh, that's very kind thank you it's always great to uh, get a chance to talk to you and as we were talking about the special edition box set of slaughter's fear no evil you can go to kissmywaxrecords.com and one of the 500 is going to have that, uh, that right. golden ticket so you can uh, spend your life with slaughter as they say uh, yeah. and uh well mark it's uh, always fun to just chat with you and uh same always, here uh, absolutely and, and honestly i was glad to have an excuse to dive back into those records over the last couple of days because i hadn't listened in a while and i'm like oh my god i forgot how much fun it is to just uh, oh that's great thank you you know what man it's i think that really where we're at is everybody's just you know we've been through so much garbage in this pandemic yeah. If something makes you smile, that's a key point. And I think for for Dana and I, it was really a, a, a how should I put it, exercising experience in the side of going through where we came from and listening to tracks and talking about the stories that we had both lived and you know and and I, I think that's an important thing. Music is the hourglass of our life. It, it just takes you back to what was happening at that time and. And to revisit that and to put it in this highest, best form is uh, great to be a part of, of that, for sure. 
Yeah, and that's why people uh, can check SlaughterUSA.com and see when the band is coming to their town. And, uh, you know, I know you've uh, done some shows post-pandemic, and uh, I'm sure that people are just so excited to be back in front of music uh, of, of any kind again. So uh, the, the crowds yeah. are out there. Uh, the I, show I, we I, just did in Houston was great, and it was just wonderful to see the crowd that vibrant and people so ready for it. I mean, it's, it's as somebody who's been on lockdown for a year, like everybody else, it's kind of yeah. like, wow, man, it's just weird to see people together. But, you know, you realize that's the magic in life is, is the togetherness of standing up for your brothers when they're not feeling well. And uh, that's what life's about, you know? So uh, we appreciate uh, everybody letting us uh, go along with the ride with them. Yeah, no, I, I've been to one show in the last like year and a half, and it was a it was a it was a drive-in show. My friend's uh, Kiss tribute band played at a parking lot at, at a minor league baseball stadium. But I'll tell you, everybody standing outside of their car, very distance apart from each other. Every, it was everybody was so excited just because right. like, look, there's music, it's right there, you know. And right, uh, right, right. Getting to be able to go places, and you know, I was talking right before we started. Today's June fifteenth. Uh, that we're told that California, my state, is is open again, so we'll see, and uh, hopefully we get to see uh, all sorts of music, and uh, hopefully yeah. uh, Slaughter finds their way out here. Out yeah, before. well, we had some things booked, but some of the casinos, I think they're kind of licking their wounds, so to speak, and uh, pushing pushing things a little later down the way because they're not, you know, nobody knows what's really going to happen here. So yeah, that's fair. I think everybody's just trying to be safe, be smart, and uh, make the right decisions for for everybody's sake. I mean, for for the the audience for the casinos for for us and let's just all try to be as safe as we can in the meantime and uh enjoy life absolutely and uh if you're not going to see the band go to kissmywaxrecords.com and get the box set of fear no evil thanks again mark uh, always great to thank talk you. to you mark slaughter of slaughter 